0: Well, I've been enjoying our study on Sunday nights, talking about parenting and children. Tonight I want to talk about hard questions. Do kids ever ask hard questions? Yes. We're going to deal specifically with one hard question tonight, but I think this hard question has other pieces to it, that there could be other hard questions surrounding this issue. But one thing I want to say by way of introduction tonight is that There are hard questions that we all come up with, whether it's our children asking us or just us asking them about society in general. And I want us to understand that God's Word has the answers. And so we're not going to be able to deal with every hard question that there ever would be tonight in the next 45 minutes or so, but I want you to think about this as a pattern. How do I go about answering hard questions that my children ask? How do I get into God's Word and dig out the answers that are there for me to find? The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I was teaching uh, to some of the parents of our teenagers a few years ago at our church in Indiana, and we were talking about this issue of answering hard questions and training our children and teaching them. And we looked at this passage of Scripture together, 2 Timothy 2.15. And I was making the point, if they had been hired, these men or these ladies were hired to do a particular job, and their boss said, I need you to do X, Y, Z, whatever it is, they would go about figuring out how to do that job. They would do the research needed. They would ask the questions needed to be able to get the answers so that they could go and perform the job that they needed to perform. And as Christians, the Bible says here in this passage that it is our duty to study. Why do we have to study God's word? So that we can be approved before God, so that we can know what God wants us to do. We can understand what his mind is on a particular issue so that we can know the the right path forward and the right way forward. And if we believe that God's Word has the answers, and we believe that God wants us to live in accordance and obedience with His Word, then it is incumbent upon us to study His Word and dig out the truth and find it so that we can live it. We're going to talk about an issue tonight that is a hot topic in our culture, and that is gender identity. And so I think this is important, whether it's your children asking this question or you answer, asking these questions or coworkers asking these questions or other family members asking these questions. This is a hard question that people are asking. And I say it's hard, not because I don't think the answers are unclear. I think the answers are very clear from God's Word. Sometimes there are questions that are a little bit difficult for us because the God's Word maybe is not as completely crystal clear on an issue. This is one of these questions that God's Word is very clear about. There's no question about the answer to this. The reason it becomes hard for us, though, is because it's so opposite of the culture that we live in. Some questions are hard because the answers are a little bit challenging to discern. Other questions are hard because we may not like the answers that we find. And so as we look at this question tonight... What does the Bible say about gender identity? What do I do if my child is questioning their gender? What do we do with the people in our culture who even here in Houston this weekend are celebrating their homosexuality or their right to some sort of uh, alternative lifestyle, if you will, and this is going on even this weekend in our very own city. So what is the biblical view of this? Well, number one, I want you to understand that in genders, when it comes to genders, male and female, we are equal in, equally made in God's image. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, the Bible says, "...and God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth." So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. Now, we can see clearly from this passage we are equally made, male and female, in the image of God. Made in the image of God. Well, how are we in God's image? I mean, we can't see God, but we can see ourselves in the mirror. So how are we in the the image of God? Well, we have an intellect. We have a will. We have emotions. We have a moral sense. We have an understanding and the ability to reason. These are all things that are in the image of God. We all have a need of salvation in order to be brought back into fellowship with God. See, there's an opportunity for fellowship with God between God and man that is not there between God and cats, or God and horses, or dogs. God created man to have fellowship with Him because He is in, made in God's image. We all need this salvation. 1 John 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we are equally made in God's image, and we are equally sinners, male and female. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Galatians 3 verse 28 helps us to understand there's no inequality in Christ between men and women. It says there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither is there bond nor free, neither is there male Or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And there are some who try to take God's Word and twist its meaning to support their alternative lifestyle. And they might even point to a Scripture verse like this and say, Well, we're all one in Christ. Why does it matter? Well, Scripture helps us to understand what the Scripture says. And we can't take one verse and use it to explain away another verse. No, the two Bible verses are of equal importance. They're inspired by God, and they're full of truth. So this verse is teaching that there's, there's not an equality here. There, there is an equality between male and female, and that we both have a need of salvation, that in Christ we're both forgiven of our sins. So we've been made in the image of God. That's what Genesis 1.26 says. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. He made mankind to have dominion over the rest of creation. To have dominion. So this is something that I, I actually saw a billboard for this on Friday. It's over somewhere off of I, or 610, 59, somewhere over that way. And it was a picture of a dog. And it was from PETA, and it was about how this dog, you know, look how sad it would be if you were, um, you know, left for science before you even died. And it's talking about how, you know, animals shouldn't be used for scientific studies and trying to compare an animal life to a human life. See, they're different. Why are they different? They're both life, right, and they're both created by God but one has been created by God to have dominion over the other. And that's what Genesis one twenty six says. And that's very important even when it comes to gender identity because if we don't understand our position in the creation of this world, it really help makes us confused when it comes to our identity and our gender because it matters if God puts us in a particular place, right? So if God put us for a purpose, right, to have dominion over this world, That's one of our purposes, to subdue the earth and to take care of those things. That's one of the purposes that he created us with. He had different purposes for a male and a female to help accomplish that purpose of exercising dominion. Think about it. When he created male and female, he then sent them out and he told them to be fruitful and multiply. It was through having children and and, uh, growing families that that's one way we're able to subdue the earth, right? Because there's people here to have dominion over, to till the ground and to tame the animals and to take care of God's creation that he put us here to live in. See, when we understand our place in God's creation, it helps us to better understand even when it comes down to our identity as our gender. God created us also, we see in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, in two distinct genders, male and female, he says. He created he them. See, equality is not sameness. That's important to understand. Two things can be equal in value, but they're not the same. I could have four quarters up here and a dollar bill, and they'd be equal in value, but they wouldn't be the same, would they? They'd be different. They might have different purposes. And God has created men, and He's created women. They're equal in value to God. They both have souls. They're both created in God's image. But they're not the same. And that's okay. It's okay that we're not the same. God uses men and women to accomplish His plan, and He has different things for men and for women to do. And that's okay, right? Because God has a really big plan. Genesis 1.28 tells us there, that we are to be fruitful and multiply. I just talked about that. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. It's important to understand that equality is not sameness. Jesus then reaffirmed this design in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, verse 5. He said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Is God's plan for marriage to have one man? and one woman, male and female. And this isn't just what gender you decide to be, right? Some of you say, well, I've decided to switch genders. No, because he's reaffirming what God said in the very beginning, that he created two genders, so you were born a certain way. Biologically, you are something. And so God's not saying, well, and then you get to decide whatever you want to be, and then put it back together. No, he said he created you a certain way. And if God created you in a certain way and for a certain purpose, He has a certain plan for your life. And to go and change your gender, anatomically, doesn't change God's purpose for your life. In fact, it makes it more difficult for you to fulfill the purpose that God has for you for your life. Two distinct genders, male and female. We live in a culture where the distinctions between men and women have been used to discriminate at times. Well, men are stronger than women, so there have been men that have taken advantage of women. That's not why God created differences for us to use to take advantage of others. But see, the Bible talks about this clear back in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned, and he said for Eve that her desire was going to be towards her husband, and her husband was going to rule over her. See, there was going to be this back and forth, this struggle for power and for authority, God created a certain order and a certain structure with the man as the head of the home and the wife is submissive to her husband. But this was not so that the man could take advantage of the wife. This was God's purpose and plan for order in the home. Equality is not sameness. See, when our culture tries to blur the lines between men and women and tries to make them the same, Right? They, they ought to be able to do the same things and get all the same purposes. And we talk about equal pay and all that stuff. Sure, if a woman works and does the job and does the same things that a man does, then sure, she ought to be paid the same for it. If she's producing the same. If she does a different job that doesn't require as much pay, then she gets a different amount paid to her. Those are pretty simple things. We don't use our differences as an opportunity to take advantage of somebody else. That's sin. That's pride. That's arrogance. That's putting someone else down. But because there are differences, this doesn't mean we have to remove all differences. So if we're going to answer these hard questions in life, we have to have a clear understanding in our own minds from the Word of God, the answers to the questions So this biblical view of gender identity or sexuality, two genders, male and female, both created in God's image, both have sinned, both need a Savior, but have different purposes. But isn't it wonderful in God's plan that God has really, while we have a little bit different purposes and different abilities and different strengths and all that, God In marriage, he puts those together. And he says, as Jesus said in Matthew 19, he makes them one flesh. So God takes the strengths of a woman and the strengths of a man and he puts them together so that wonderful things can happen through that union. Yes, they can have children, right, we know that. But even beyond that, the compassionate side of a woman or the Reasoning intellect of a man, or you can put it whatever it is, and it, it just creates a wonderful partnership. And I think we are more, if you will, able to act in the image of God through a marriage relationship, because we bring all those different parts together, because if male and female are creating the image of God, and the Bible says that a woman was the help meet for him, right? She was his completer. We're lacking something. Ultimately, we're lacking God. With Him, we're complete. But as, as a man and a woman come together, and there's a husband-wife relationship, this is a wonderful thing, and brings glory to God and fulfills His purpose. So how do we help our children with these things, though? If this is what the Bible says about it, and the Bible has lots more to say, we could spend a long time going through the details and going through the sins of homosexuality. The Bible clearly teaches that. But I feel like if we understand that this is the way it is, this is the way the Bible teaches, we, we know what the truth is. We know everything else is a counterfeit, right? So how can we guard against ungodly influences? Because the reality is, even if this is what we believe, and this is the right thing, because this is what God has said, how do we guard against the influences of this world? How do we deal with it? Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, Be not deceived... Evil communications corrupt good manners. You can have a a good little boy or a good little girl, and you put them in a bad situation around bad people, and they can be corrupted, right? Psalm 1.1 is very clear. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Instead, he says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. So how do we guard against ungodly influences? Has God called us just to pull away and and go live in a cave in the woods so that we won't be around any ungodly influence? Or, as the Bible says, can we live in the world and still not be of the world? How do we do that? How do we guard against ungodly influences? I'm going to give you a few different ways to do this. So some of the ungodly influences that come around in our world, one of those might be through the fashion or marketing industries, right? We see things around us, the styles that people wear, the things that are supposedly important in our society to own and to have, what's being marketed to us is often done by people who have a big agenda to pull people away from God and point them towards sexuality and fleshliness and themselves, right? What makes me look good? What makes other people attracted to my body? How can I show my body off in our clothing, the way that we dress? How can I fulfill my needs and my lusts and my desires? We live in a world that markets to that, don't they? The com- even the commercials and things for, that are made for children at times, things in kids' movies, it, it, we just, it's all around us. Second one, the internet, right? It's just a click away. How do we guard against these things? Or the television, right? Turn on the TV, commercial comes on. I often find myself, if I watch TV, which isn't a whole lot, but if we do, muting commercials or changing the channel or even turning the TV off, it's okay. It does have an off button. We don't have to look at those things. Sometimes we as adults are not very helpful to the young people around us and children around us because we say, well, it's okay, I'm an adult, I can handle this. You're not helping your kids. Because then they think, well, when I'm grown up, then I'll just do that too. And It'll be okay. When we talk about this stuff, you know, we think in our society we have, you know, adult movies and adult beverages and adult entertainment and How's it okay to sin now that you're an adult, but it wasn't okay to do it when you were a kid? That doesn't make sense, does it? We as adults, maybe we don't see the effect as quickly as you do on a child, but sin still affects us, doesn't it? We've got to be careful about what we put into our minds. The television, even the education system. You hear about it all the time, don't you? This kindergarten class is teaching sex ed to five-year-olds, right? What are they learning about that for? How, how are we going to guard against these things? read not too long ago about a school that there was a, a young person in the school that decided they were going to be a different gender. And so the big argument was, could this child, that had decided, a boy that decided to be a girl, could he use the girl's locker room? Right? We live in a wicked world, don't we? And there's wicked influences all around us. How are we going to help our children? Well, we need to give them an understanding of God's Word, which means we better have an understanding of God's Word to give them clear answers. Many parents don't. So how can we do that? Well, let me talk about it now. Six elements to shape a child's God-given identity. Number one, time. Spend time with them. Time with parents. Ephesians 6, four. bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You're only going to have your children for a limited amount of time. They're going to grow up, aren't they? And you're going to have less influence on them, most likely, the older they get. So spend time with them. Teach them what is true. Let them come to you and talk to you about things. Talk to them about stuff. We live in a wicked world where they're going to be exposed to a lot of wickedness, even if you are are very sheltered in the way you raise them. And you should shelter them. That's a good thing. But even if you do that, they're still going to be exposed to things. So make sure you're the one giving them biblical answers even before they're asking all of the questions so that they know that you're the one who has the answers because you have God's Word. And God's Word has the truth, even though their friends may be saying something differently, even though the kids at school may be saying something differently, helping to prepare them, right? Ephesians 6 is very clear about this. It says to put on the whole armor of God, right? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We can put on the whole armor of God ourselves, can't we? Taking the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and the belt of truth, right? Putting on the helmet of salvation, and we can help our own children get dressed in the same armor of God. But we must teach them the truth, and this comes through spending time with them. I'll tell you, it's a a challenge for me, probably like it's a challenge for some of you. Yes, I, this is what I do. I get to study God's Word. I get to go visit people that are sick in the hospital. I get to plan things for the church and work on stuff. But I have to be intentional about spending time with my kids. Something the Lord has worked in my heart about this year. And we've been working very hard to spend extra time. And it's not really extra. Just, just time with the kids. Extra in the sense of more than I was. Because it's important. Because they need to hear from you. And they need to see your example. They need to see how you handle things. Things are often better caught than taught sometimes, right? People catch things because they see how you do it and how you respond. What you do in a situation, they might listen to that better than they do to all of your teaching. But if nothing else, what you are doing ought to back up what you're saying, right? So that they know it's truth. Time with parents. Secondly, godly role models It doesn't have to just be you speaking truth. That's why we have a a youth group class going tonight and a children's class going tonight. That's why we'll have vacation Bible school in a few weeks. That's why we're going to have an Awana program in the fall teaching the children truth. That's why in a church it's a wonderful place for boys and girls to be able to look at other parents and other adults and other moms and dads and grandparents and say those are godly people. Folks, this isn't just practical. This is biblical. Titus chapter 2, verse 4 says that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Sorry, we should have gone back to chapter, or verse 3 because who's he talking about? He's talking about the older women can teach the younger women. Godly role models, right? Teach them to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. He says, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Paul's writing to Titus and he's saying, teach these young men to be sober-minded in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. How are we going to teach our young men to have godly character? Well, teaching them what the Bible says. Letting them see it. Going to camp in a few weeks, that's a great opportunity to put them around some more godly role models. I was greatly impacted in my life through different speakers at camp, preachers, some of my camp counselors who were a little bit older than me and wanting to serve God. It's one reason I'm thankful to even bring in summer interns and do different things here with bringing young people in that want to serve God. This is a help to our young children as they grow up because when they're little, we get to pick their role models. Parents, we decide what we turn on on the TV for them when they're really little. But as they get older, they're going to be able to start making those decisions themselves whether they, we want them to or not. I was sitting this afternoon as we were getting ready to come to church. I had my computer open and was looking over my notes for tonight one more time. All of a sudden, onto my computer screen pops a picture of Caden and Carissa they had picked up mommy's phone and airdropped it to me. A three-year-old and a four-year-old. That's great. I don't think they knew how they did what they did, but they did it. Now, we don't let them run around the phone. They picked it up when they weren't supposed to have it. And, you know, that happens at times. But how do we help our children to guard against these things? We need to be teaching them the truth. Spending time with them. Because it's avail. there's so much wickedness easily available to them in so many places. So we need older men, older women teaching our young people gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. Men, don't be ashamed to instruct the boys in our church at times. That's a good thing. If my boys are not behaving as befits young men, should godly men, It's okay to encourage them, and I'll do my best too. But I'm thankful for the godly input from other godly role models in my children's lives. So time with parents, godly role models. Another way we can help to shape their God-given identity is having distinction in their dress. It's okay if you're a man to dress like a man. If you're a lady, to dress like a lady. We're trying to help to shape the God-given identity that is in each of our children. In my relatively few years, eight or nine years as a youth pastor, I had a lot more experience than I would like to have had dealing with children who, had struggled with some, who were struggling with gender identity. I had a number of young people over the years there that were dealing with this. Well, I think I'm gay or I'm, I'm a homosexual or boys that think they're girls and girls that think they're boys. These were 13, 14-year-old kids. For the most part, a lot of them had had some sort of physical abuse in their life when they were really young. That was really, really a common theme when you started talking to them. We live in a wicked world, folks. And so helping our children to shape their God-given identity is so important. They're so moldable and malleable when they're young. And so giving them good role models, giving them distinct, distinctions in the way that they dress, these are good things. These are helping them to put boundaries in their life and build fences that help to push them and mold them into the image that God wants them to be. God's given them a purpose. He's created them with a gender. He's made them unique and different and with a special purpose, But as they're growing, they're learning and they're being shaped and drawn into that that God has for them. Distinctions in their dress. How sad it is when we see mothers who say, well, my child hasn't decided what gender they are, so I'm just going to let them dress like this. Or little Johnny wants to play with this. No, help them. Teach them. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, verse 14, as obedient children... Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. In every way, in every bit of your lifestyle, be holy. I like what he says there in verse 14 though. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts. Even Christians fall into this trap of, well, it's not that big of a deal or it's harmless. You know, it's kind of fun. It's kind of cute. Folks, that's ignorant. That's what he says. Don't fashion yourselves after the former lusts. It's ignorance. God's called you to holiness, being set apart, being different, being like God. And then 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, deals with what a woman would wear. In like manner, also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness, sobriety, not with broidered hair, gold, pearls, or costly ray, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. The Bible says it's more important what a lady does than how fancy she's dressed. What should bring attention to a woman is her faithfulness to God, not her outward appearance. <coughs> Deuteronomy 22, verse 5 deals with men and women. It says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, there's been lots of questions about this verse over the years, and it's been applied differently. And there may be some of you in this room that apply this verse differently than others. Some have taken this and said, well, a woman should never wear a pair of pants because that's a man's garment. And if that's your position, okay, that's fine. Others say, well, a woman can wear very feminine-looking pants, and this isn't a problem, and so... She's going to wear this, but they're going to be very clearly a woman's pants. And then some some guys like to get kind of smart and say, well, you know, Jesus probably wore a robe, so maybe it should be men wearing more of the skirts and, you know, get silly about things like that. The point is this, folks don't dress like a woman if you're a man. And men or women don't dress like a man. We see it all the time. We were going through the airport recently, and, you know, a, a man comes running by wearing. Makeup and all kinds of crazy clothes. And I think, why is he trying to dress like a woman? A lady then goes by and she's got her head shaved and she's, you know, trying to look all tough with her muscle shirt on as she struts to the airport in her combat boots. Like, really? This is, she's trying to be something different than what she is. Distinction in dress. It's a good thing. Helps us understand there's equality, but not sameness. I'm glad that Shandy and I have two different parts of the closet, and her part of the closet looks a lot different than my part of the closet. We never get confused on our clothes, even though we're about the same height. I never pull something out and go, hmm, I wonder if this is Shandy's or if this is mine. We know because it's distinct. It looks different. It's not hard folks, but it is countercultural to say these things because we live in a culture that says well, let's blend lo- blur the lines, blend the differences, let's switch things entirely. Be distinct. Help your children to be distinct. Letter D there, I think you have in your notes there, a holy view of sexuality. Six elements. A holy view of sexuality. God created you with the gender that He created you with, and He has a special purpose for it. Listen, if you've paid any attention to any news media or stories going around, you've all heard stories of people saying, Well, I just felt a lot better when I switched over to this because I switched genders, and now I feel like I'm really fulfilling the gender that I have. Folks, people are confused. When I hear something like that, I, I get sad. Because I think their life is so upside down and backwards and they're so confused that they don't know which way is up. I hurt for them and you should too. Because they are not in line with God's purpose for their life. If God created you a certain way, whether it was as a man or a woman or whether it was as a short person or a tall person, whether it was as someone with some physical ability or you may feel some physical defect God did it for a purpose we need to have a holy view of our sexuality and then letter E balanced activities Friday we took the kids fishing and Carissa caught as many fish as the boys did that's okay it's okay for girls to fish and to enjoy those kinds of things I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I'll take my boys to do things and have them do work and things that I want to help them learn how to do manly things. The Bible talks about how men are to be protectors, right? How men are to be providers. So I want my boys to learn how to work on things and fix things and learn how to do different kinds of labor and learn how to think with their mind and learn how to do stuff that befits being a man. It's good to be manly. Now I realize there are lots of differences even in my own four boys. Some of them enjoy athletic things more than others. Some of them enjoy reading more than others. Some of them enjoy more artistic things than others. There's room for breadth in this, folks, but you can still be distinctly a man and Paint with a paintbrush, or be distinctly a man and play the piano, or be distinctly a man and enjoy cooking, right? Those don't things that say, well, that makes you like a woman. No. But same thing for for a lady. Shandy spends time with Carissa, fixing her hair. And, you know, I have tea parties with Carissa. We go on dates from time to time because she's a girl. God created her as a girl and she's going to be a a woman someday, grow up to be a lady. So we want to help her do those things. Yes, it's fun for our whole family to go fishing together. And we may go in a few months and we may all go camping together and that's good. We can all be outdoors and we can rough it together. There's nothing gender bending about that. But it's learning to help our children have balanced activities. Learning to enjoy things that are part of what befits a woman or a man. Carissa caught the biggest bass, I think. It was fun. And then, this last one is very important. And I want to spend a little time on this one, just giving some different ideas, and maybe you'll have some input on it as well. Godly friends and associations. See, we already dealt with godly role models and time with parents. So this really, those may be authorities or people ahead of us. or. But what are, what are we doing about our children's friends? This goes back to the Internet, right? They've got all their friends on social media. Well, maybe your children don't need to be on social media. Wouldn't kill them. Maybe they're not ready for it yet. Think of it this way. Social media is not a good or bad thing. It's a tool. But it's a very powerful tool, isn't it? you can do a lot very quickly online. You can hurt people, say bad things about them. You can get yourself looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, all that kind of stuff. You can get a lot of trouble really fast. A cell phone. Is a cell phone good or bad? It's a tool, right? And that's like saying, is a chainsaw good or bad, right? It's a tool. But Caden doesn't get to use the chainsaw yet at our house even though I have one, right? Is a, this would be modern culture, right? Is a gun good or bad? It's a tool, right? It could be used for good. It could be used for bad. All these things are tools. We need to understand that. That's important because sometimes people like to demonize a tool. Throw all the hammers away. Then no one will get beat on the head. No, that, that doesn't fix the problem, does it? Because people are still sinners, and they're going to still knock people on the head, right? Throw all the guns away and no one will ever get murdered. No, that doesn't fix the problem. You can kill somebody many different ways. Do we throw the internet away? Do we turn it off? Well, I look at it this way and as a youth pastor, I thought about this a lot because parents were asking me about this and I was dealing with this with our teens. Well, we do want to control it because it's a very powerful tool and get wide open really quick. It's kind of like putting a governor on the car and right? not only letting it drive a certain speed when, you take, when the kids are at the go-kart track. right? They, they have those little go-karts governed down so they can't run too fast. I think it's good to control it, but we better teach our children how to use it properly. Not just hide under a bush and act like it doesn't exist. Now, there's an appropriate time for them to use it and there's an appropriate time for them not to use it. Set limits, set boundaries. And they're going to push you on it. They're going to fight you about it. Because who doesn't want to just have unlimited, unfettered access to powerful tools? I mean, that's fun, right? But it's also dangerous. So teach them how to use it. Be a good example in it. Godly associations, friends. Who are they talking to online? If they're going to do it, how can you control that? How can you keep an eye on that? How can you help them to do the right things and keep from doing the wrong things, right? They're friends at church. They're friends at school. As they get older and if they have a dating relationship, boyfriends, girlfriends, all those kinds of things, all those people in our lives shape us and form us. I'm thankful in our family, we enjoyed lots of family time together. We spent lots of time doing things. I had, I had fun doing things with our family. So I was getting good influences there from my family. I didn't have to go out to have fun with my friends all the time because we had a lot of fun as a family. But I'm learning now as a dad that that takes some sacrifice and commitment on your part. Not sacrifice of more important things because nothing's more important than raising your kids to serve the Lord, but sacrifice of things that might feel important to you like time at work or leisure time. But it's important to spend those times with them. We deal with... Some hard things in our world. Some people say, well, let's just not bring kids into the world. It'd just be easier that way. And it might be, but that's not what God told us to do. He told us to be fruitful, multiply. You know, there's more than one way to grow a church. It's not just through inviting new people to come. You can have babies, too. That's another way to grow the church. Our church has grown some that way this year, and that's okay. That's part of being fruitful and multiplying, right? But as God gives us children... We need to get into God's Word to find the answers that they need so we can give them the truth and help them to grow to be the people that God wants them to be. It's not going to be easy, necessarily. Studying's not always easy. But we have a a goal, a desire, a charge from God to be approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing, understanding God's Word and living it out in our lives.